Hey, if that doesn't get you excited for Romans chapter 8, I don't know what will, all right? <laughs> I'm excited for this. Um, you know, last week my son Aiden turned 18 and we, we celebrated the way that any, you know, person in the right mind would do it. We threw ourselves out of an airplane. Um, so on Friday, we went up to uh, Southport, North Carolina, and uh, we jumped out of the plane. And so this is a picture of us and, uh, and our little puddle jumper. Uh, so this is the third time I've done this. This was a little different than the other two times because this was a much smaller uh, plane. Uh, there was room for, uh, for Aiden and me and our instructor like, you know, our instructor and then a pilot. So five of us crammed into this little thing. Uh, my instructor was, his joke was, what did one sardine say to the other? And why are we packed in here like skydivers? And I was like, yeah, it's appropriate because we were just crammed in this thing and, uh, you know, the door was right here. And so, you know, the door opens and out you go. And uh, it was quite the experience. Um, there is a word I have for, every, for all three times, each time I've done it. You probably have your own word for, for this, maybe insane or crazy. Uh, my word is exhilarating. Uh, exhilarating. It is, it is crazy. This one was, was different because, uh, yeah, we didn't go up as high. We went up 10,000 feet. Uh, the other couple times it's been in the 13, 14,000 foot range. Um, so, it, and you know, and we're tight in there and, you know, literally the door opens and I'm right there. And it was different. It was more intense uh, than the other couple of times I've gone, um, but enjoyed it. Uh, I'm alive. That's what matters, right? Um, it, it is one experience, you know, as I was thinking about even, you know, approaching this experience. Like it is one experience where it is impossible to be casual about it. You know what I'm saying? Uh, unless you're like my instructor who had like 6,000 plus jumps under his belt, um, it's probably more casual for him. But even then, he's, you know, you can't be casual about it because you you've got lives in your hands. Uh, it's funny when you leave, they're like, hey, thanks for trusting, with your trusting us with your lives. And like, literally, we put our lives into your hands. Uh, but you, it's impossible to be casual about it. It, it gets your attention, uh, it, your heart rate. Uh, starts rising. Um, I start thinking about it like 24 hours before. I'm like, am I really going to do this again? This is, this is crazy. Uh, it affects you mentally and, and physically. Um, there, there's no way for it to not. When you launch yourself out of a, out of a, uh, out of a plane at 10,000 feet plus, um, it, it, you, there's no sleepwalking through it. You know what I'm saying? There's no like, there, you're not reckless, you're not careless, you're not unengaged. It is the opposite of... Uh, being in a daze or like going through the motions. Um, it, it's the exact opposite of that. And so today we're beginning this six-week series in the book of, of Romans, Romans 8, called Life in the Spirit. And unfortunately, what I would say about our Christian lives is uh, often we could describe our Christian lives as boring and bland and casual and going through the motions. And, and I would say this, that if that's your version of, of Christianity, of the Christian life, then you have probably signed up for the wrong thing. Because I would, I would say when it comes to our, our faith in Christ, when we put our faith in Jesus, I, I just want you to think about this for a second. When we put our faith in Christ, when we submit our lives, we put the full weight of our lives upon Christ, the Holy Spirit, what the Bible tells us is the Holy Spirit comes in and lives in us, occupies us, takes up residence within us. The living God of the universe steps in and makes his home within us. And his presence and his activity changes everything. It changes everything. 
it's, it's kind of like skydiving. Some, of us, some people in life would say, okay, I do that because it makes me feel alive. But here is the truth, that when you put your faith in Christ, you don't have to jump out of planes, you don't have to do extreme stuff. When you put your faith in Christ, he makes you fully alive. You realize that? The Holy Spirit comes in and breathes life into your dead spirit, and he brings you fully to life. And so to have his spirit indwell you and fill you, it cannot, it cannot look like a casual, careless life of going through the motions. And yet, for so many followers of Jesus, for so many Christians, this is what life looks like. Ray Ortland Jr., I'm going to quote from him a few times this morning uh, because he, one of my sources that I'm, I'm reading through his book called, uh, it, it, he calls Romans 8 by this name, and, and I love how he describes Romans 8. It's supernatural living for natural people. Supernatural living for natural people. That's actually the title of his book um, that I'm going through. Uh, supernatural living for natural people. Uh, and you know, we, we uh, at Redemption, we are a Baptist church. Uh, and Baptists have traditionally uh, shied away from the subject of the Holy Spirit. Traditionally, many, many Baptist churches kind of shy away from it. I don't know what it is. I don't know. Um, you know, we're in the month of October, Halloween month. It's, you know, scary stuff. And maybe it's because the old King James uh, calls him the Holy Ghost. And it's like, ooh, he's scary. We don't know what he's about. So we're going to just avoid that subject. Maybe it's because, you've, you've, you know, Baptists are... Folks have seen um, different groups of, of Christians uh, do weird stuff and, you know, portray the Holy Spirit in different ways um, that felt uncomfortable. I don't know what it is, but, but here is the truth, is that the Holy Spirit, when he comes into our life, he is the one who animates our life with the life of God for the glory of God in us. And this is what Romans 8 is all about. It's all about life in the Spirit. And before we stand, I wanna, we're going to jump into Romans 8 here in a moment. I'll ask you to stand in a moment and read the first two verses with me. Um, what I want to say is, is this. The beginning of the series, the beginning of this sermon is that for some of you, this study could be life-changing for you. Some of you might need to hear some of the things we're going to see in Romans chapter 8. It could literally uh, change things uh, in, a, in a major way for you. And I hope that it does. I hope that uh, that. Some of the things that we see in Romans 8 will set you free. Uh, and so I want to encourage you to, to stand with me. Um, and we're going to read Romans 8, 1 and 2. If you have your Bible, you can open that. We'll have it on the screens as well. This is God's word. It is truth. It is life. Romans 8, 1 and 2. Here's what Paul says. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. This is the word of the Lord. And God, thank you so much for your truth that, God, you reveal yourself to us. Um, Lord, you give us instruction. You give us words that guide us, that breathe life into us, that tell us about what you are like and that reveal to us what we are like. And so, God, I pray that as we go through this morning and through these next six weeks, as we dig into Romans 8, Lord, I pray that you would help us to, uh, to dig in, to receive what you have for us. Uh, Lord, for some people, it's, your word is going to set them free through this six weeks. 
Um, Lord, maybe for the very first time as they put faith in you, maybe God for, um, you know, they've heard these verses and these truths so many times over the years and yet for the first time, God, they'll hear these things in a fresh way. And God, I pray that you would do that in every single one of us, that we wouldn't just go through the motions, God, that we would have a life that is, that is animated by your Holy Spirit, that you would breathe fresh a fresh wind of your spirit into us, God, that we would receive and hear exactly what you have for us through this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you all have a seat? Thank you for standing. Romans 8, life in the spirit. Uh, let me give you a little bit of context for the book of Romans. You know me, I, I always want to set the context for where we're at. Uh, the book of Romans, it was written by the Apostle Paul to uh, the Christian believers, the church in, in Rome. So it was made up of Jewish and Gentile believers. Uh, in the order of the New Testament, it's a New Testament book. Um, it, it follows the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, and then the book of Acts, which we looked at earlier this year. And, and in the order of the New Testament, this is the first epistle, the first letter written to the church. So it's written to the, the Roman believers by the Apostle Paul. Rome was the capital and the most important city in the, the Roman Empire. Uh, the Roman church was probably established by uh, some of the believers that were present on the day of Pentecost. If you remember Acts chapter 2, when people from all over came uh, and, and to Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit came, the church was, was birthed. We sang about it this morning. Uh, and then believers went back to Rome and probably established the church at that point. Uh, Paul, uh, who came to Christ, you see the, the, the story in the book of Acts, uh, he, he became a, a pastor, missionary, began to plant churches, uh, and he, uh, he longed to get to Rome. And if you remember back through the, the book of Acts, the, the, the book of Acts ends with, with Paul finally uh, receiving his wish, his desire to get to Rome. God brought him there. He brought him there as a, a prisoner. He was on house arrest, but he got there and uh, he began to uh, preach the gospel in Rome. But, but Paul wrote this letter uh, from Corinth on his third missionary journey. Uh, and so that's some context for the book of, of uh, Romans. Um, I would say this about Romans. Romans is a deeply theological book, but it is also deeply practical. Deeply theological, but deeply practical. Sometimes we go, well, I don't need a lot of theology. That's too deep for me. You know, let's leave that to the professionals. Um, but theology, it literally comes from two Greek words, theos and logos. Uh, theos means God. Uh, logos means word. So it's words about God. It has to do with what we believe and what we think about God. So theology is the study of, of God. And, and, and what we think about God impacts how we live. Theology is deeply practical because it impacts how we live. Everybody, I don't know if you know this, everybody in this sense is a theologian. You are a theologian because everybody has some kind of theology. Everybody has some kind of thoughts regarding God. Now the question is, are they are they good and right and accurate, or, or are they misinformed? Are you, do you have good theology or not? But Romans 8 is deeply theological. It's deeply practical. Um, theology is important because we need to think rightly in order to live rightly. All right, I'm going to just park on this statement for a second. We need to think rightly in order to live rightly. So let me, let me give you a really practical example. Uh, say you need to be in Camden at, I don't know, 5 o'clock. You're coming from Lugoff or Elgin. You're heading to Camden. If you're going to live rightly, if you're going to get there on time, you've got to think rightly. You've got to go, 
oh, the bridge is down to one lane for some reason, right? They're working on something, but traffic is going to take forever. And so if I'm going to get there on time, I need to leave way earlier. I don't know if any of y'all have ever experienced this in Kershaw County. Um, But if you're going to live rightly, you have to think rightly. Same thing with theology. If we're going to live rightly the way God has called us to live, we have to think rightly. We need to know what the scriptures say about God, so it can inform how we think about the Lord. So Romans is doctrine rich. It's doctrine just means teaching. It's very rich in teaching about who God is, what He's done for us. It's all about the gospel. It is all about the gospel. The key verse or verses, uh, and I'll read these for you. Romans 1:16 and 17 sets the tone for the entire book of Romans. Paul says in Romans 1:16, "I am not ashamed." Of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So Romans is all about the gospel. And then as we kind of fast forward into it, we're going to be landing in Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 is all about life in the spirit. Life in the Spirit. And so let, let me kind of practically show you how, you, how we can see that it's, it's focused on the Spirit. If you, if you take the word Spirit, capital S, Spirit, referring to the Holy Spirit of God, the, the use of the word Spirit throughout the book of Romans. So in chapters 1 through 7, okay, preceding chapter 8, the, the word Spirit is used four times. In, in the chapters after Romans 8, chapters 9 through 16, uh, the word Spirit, referring to Holy Spirit, is used uh, six times, okay? So 10 times in the book of Romans, from, you know, ex- excluding chapter 8, 10 times. In chapter 8 alone, Spirit, referring to the Holy Spirit, is used 20 times. So Romans 8 focuses in on life in the Spirit. Uh, but also, there's, a, there's kind of a secondary or very closely related theme in the book of, of uh, or the chapter, Romans 8. I want to read, read you this quote from John Stott. He says this, So the Christian life is essentially life in the spirit. That is to say a life, and I love this phrase, a life which is animated, sustained, directed, and enriched by the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, true Christian discipleship would be inconceivable, indeed impossible. In handling the topic of the Holy Spirit, however, The apostle relates it to his other overarching theme in this chapter, namely the absolute security of the children of God. At the same time, the two topics are closely related. And we'll kind of see that throughout this this chapter, life in the spirit, because what Paul goes on to say in Romans 8 is that those who have the spirit of God, they are the children of God. They are sons and daughters of God. This is proof that we are his children. Uh, And so these themes are are related, but Romans 8, we're going to focus in on, on the spirit of God and his work in our life. And so we're calling this morning's sermon, The Spirit Sets You Free. The Spirit sets you free, Romans 8, 1 and 2. So three really simple words and points this morning, and here they are. Frustration, justification, liberation. That's a great preacher outline right there, y'all, and it rhymes and everything. Frustration, justification, liberation. All right, so here we go. First word is this, frustration, frustration. And this is, we're going to go to this one word in Romans 8, Verse number one, there is, 
therefore, now, okay, so that word therefore is, is, is what I want us to, to hang out on for just a moment. Uh, if, if you haven't learned this before, uh, you'll hear it here now. Uh, whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, you ask a question. What's it therefore? Okay, what's it therefore? When you see the word therefore, it, it refers to, uh, it, it's a consequence. What, what they're getting ready to say is a consequence or result of what has just been spoken. Okay, so this was said, therefore, this, therefore, that. All right, so therefore is always an important word. It's, and, and, and usually it's referring to what was just said directly preceding the statement that's getting ready to be said. Uh, but here in Romans 8.1, it's really, it could be applied in a big picture way to, to chapters 1 through 7. All that the, that the Apostle Paul has been saying from chapters 1 through chapter 7. So chapters... Three, four, and five, Paul is, is, is kind of digging into like our salvation that comes through the, the death and resurrection of Christ. Chapter six and seven, he's talking about our, our struggle with sin. Chapter seven in particular, Paul expresses, here's the word, the frustration of trying to please God but failing. The frustration of, man, God, I want to please you, I want to honor you, but I keep struggling with with my flesh, I keep struggling with sin. When, when, when the Bible uses the word flesh, it's not talking about our skin and bones. It's, it's talking to our carnal nature, that we want what we want and our, 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 our fleshly desires, uh, our selfish desires that are opposed to what maybe God wants for us. And so Paul, throughout chapter 7 in particular, he's expressing this frustration that, God, I want to please you. I want to honor you. But man, I struggle with sinning. I struggle with thinking the wrong thing and saying the wrong thing and doing the wrong thing. And in verse number, I want to read verse 19 for you. There's any number of verses we could pull from chapter 7, but I think this one kind of expresses the frustration of Paul. He says, for I do not do the good I want. The good that I want to do, I don't do. But the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Like, and he keeps expressing this frustration. God, I want to please you. The things that I want to do, the good things, I find myself not doing that. But the evil, the, the bad, the sinful things, those are the things that I find myself doing over and over and over. And it, it culminates in this, this cry, this kind of outburst in, in verse number 24. As he ends the chapter, he, he, he cries out. He says, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me? From the body of this death. Oh, wretched man. I, I add, you see, it doesn't say in the English Standard Version, uh, it doesn't say this, but I learned this in the King James, and I love that it added this word, this letter, oh. oh it's oh. It's this exclamation, oh, wretched man that I am. And I think this is, these words are so powerful. It expresses this frustration because here's the deal. The more that we... The more that we understand who God is, or we understand that he's holy, that he's righteous, that he's pure, that he's loving, the more we understand who he is, the more we understand who we are, the more we understand our sinfulness. I think of it like in this, this progression. Like when we, when we come to God, when we really come to God, it starts out with this kind of attitude that's like, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty decent person. Uh, you, know, I've, you know, I've got my things, but I'm, 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 I'm not perfect, but I'm a pretty good person. 
And the more we understand who God is, the more we go, well, you know what? Uh, I, I do. I have, my, I have my issues. I have my stuff. But when we really come to God, we come to this realization, well, I'm, I'm really not that good of a person. I'm a sinner. I have sinned. I have, I have sinned in the face of God. And we come to that realization. We put our lives in his hand. But I think it even goes further than that because when you see Paul here speaking, he's speaking as a man who has given his life to God. He's a follower of Christ. He's a Christian. And yet he cries out, oh, wretched man that I am. I think we come to this place, we go, I'm a sinner. But man, the more mature we grow in our faith, the more we understand who God is, the more we see our sinfulness, the more we will with Paul cry out, oh my goodness, God, I'm a wretch. I don't deserve your grace. I don't deserve your mercy. And Paul cries out, this kind of weird phrase, but he says, who will deliver me from this body of death? And so tradition has said that in, there was this, uh, this, this ancient tribe near Tarsus, where Tarsus is where the Apostle Paul was from. There's tradition that says that in this tribe, um, you know, when, when someone would break the sixth command, we just talked about, thou shalt not murder. When someone would, when someone would murder someone, uh, they would take that, that corpse, that decomposing corpse, and they would tie it to the murderer. And as that, as that body decomposed and decayed, it would, of course, slowly infect and eventually kill that, that killer, right? And, and so maybe this was, this was the picture that, that Paul had in, in his mind as he spoke these words. Who, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who is going to free me from this, this flesh that I struggle with, that I wrestle with, that is constantly bringing this decaying effect in my life? God, who's, who's going to deliver me from this? Who's going to free me from this? And of course, he, he answers it in verse number 25. He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And, and he is the one who delivers us, who sets us free from this body of death. But I just want to ask you this question this morning. Do you feel this kind of frustration? Do you feel this frustration in your life that, God, I want to please you and I want to honor you? But man, the stuff that I don't want to do, I keep finding myself wrestling with. Paul calls it like this, this war that's waging between the, the law in his mind, what he wants to do to please God and obey God, and the, the law working in his members, this law of sin and, and death. And he expresses this frustration. Do you, do you understand that frustration? Do you feel that frustration? If you don't, I'll say this, you're a better person than I am. <laughs> Right? Or maybe you've not yet put your faith in, in Jesus yet. But the answer that he gives us is it's, it's God who delivers us. And, and I want to make sure that we see this, this therefore, this frustration, because you're never going to understand the impact of Romans 8, 1, and 2 if you don't understand the therefore. This frustration, this struggle, this struggle with sin, this war that's being waged between what I want to do and what, what, what my flesh wants to do. So we start with frustration, but then we move to this next word, justification. Justification. So Romans 8 verse, verse 1, I want to focus on these words, no condemnation. There is therefore now 
no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Let me ask you another question. Have you ever felt condemnation? Have you ever felt condemnation in your life? Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's self-condemnation. Um, I was just thinking about this this morning. I have this bad habit. It's probably not a good example for my kids. Uh, but, but sometimes when I do something just, and it can be the smallest thing in the world, it's something stupid, I'll just talk to myself. And I'll be like, you idiot. That was so dumb. Why did you do that? I don't know if you ever do that. Um, and I don't, like, I don't wallow in it. I'm not like depressed for the rest of the day. But I just say in that moment, I'm like, why would you do something so stupid? And it can be, again, the, the smallest thing. Um, and, and I'll realize, like, my kids are in the room. That's probably not, that's probably not a great model of self-talk. You know what I'm saying? But that's, that's condemnation in a small way. I'm, I'm condemning myself. You know what it means to, to what condemnation means? Condemnation means uh, to feel judgment, to feel strong disapproval. It means to feel guilty. You ever felt condemnation? Maybe it's from yourself. Maybe it's from others. Maybe it's spoken from others. Words of condemnation. Maybe it wasn't spoken, it was perceived. Maybe they gave you a look, they responded to something you said, uh, and you just feel condemnation, right? I think we all understand what it means to feel condemned. Uh, for some of us, uh, unfortunately, uh, maybe for some of us, that's, that's a normal, that's, that's the lane that we traffic in, is feeling condemnation, self-condemnation, the condemnation of others. Uh, so let, let me speak a truth to you this morning. That's not going to be uh, not going to be fun to hear, but we need to hear this. We are guilty of sin. We are guilty of sin. Our sins against God do demand judgment. A just God must deal with or judge injustice, and so condemnation uh, is deserved against sinners, against sin. That is a truth we need, we need to know. We are guilty. We deserve condemnation. Our sins against God deserve to be condemned. That is the truth. But here's another more powerful truth, is that if you are in Christ, your judgment fell upon Jesus. Your condemnation that you deserved was carried by Christ. If you were in Christ, your judgment fell upon Jesus. Your condemnation was carried by Christ. He stood in your place willingly and lovingly to take the judgment and the condemnation that you and I deserved that was rightly ours to bear, and yet he bore it. But, but here's, here's the qualifier. If you go back to chapter one or chapter eight, verse one, there is therefore now no condemnation. He, and he, and he, he says this specifically to a group of people. Not everyone, he says, for those who are in Christ Jesus. The qualifier is those three words, in Christ Jesus. What, is, what does that mean? What does it mean to be in Christ Jesus? Well, it means that you have put your faith in Jesus Christ. It means that you are united with Christ. The, the theological term is union with Christ. Union with Christ. So here's a way to understand that because this is, this is marriage 
like imagery or, or terminology, a union. When you think of a union of, of two people, it's a you know, husband and wife who become one flesh or you know, they become one uh, united in marriage. Uh, whenever I do a, uh, a wedding ceremony, you know, we walk the, the, the bride and the groom through you know, their, their vows to one another, right? They're pledging themselves to, to one another uh, through sickness and health and through all this stuff. And then you come to this point where, uh, where you kind of conclude those vows with an exchange of rings. And you speak, you speak these words to one another. This is, this is uh, what I use in, in my ceremonies. I love this. Uh, it doesn't come from me. I just I took it from my pastor, Pastor Mark. Uh, I just love this because of the picture of, of union here. The, the, the bride and the groom, as they give these rings to one another, they declare this. Uh, to the other. And I always have to remind a bride and groom, okay, make sure you look at the other. Don't say these words while you're looking at me because you're not making these, this pledge to me, all right? To your, your other. Uh, I give you this ring as a symbol of our marriage covenant and as a reminder that all of what I have and all of who I am is yours as long as I live. I love the power of those words, and that is a picture of what happens when we are united with Christ. We say, okay, God, I'm not, I'm not just going to start coming to church. I'm not just going to start reading my Bible. No, no, no. All of what I have, all of my stuff, however little or however much, and not just my stuff, my possessions, but all of who I am as a person is yours as long as I live. You know, if, if we made the invitation to put your faith in Christ that dramatic, some people go, oh, that's not as easy as I thought. That's actually giving my whole life and all that I have to the Lord. Uh, and actually, it's, it's even more than this. It's as yours as long as I live and then beyond that, right, into eternity. All of what I have and all of who I am is yours as long as I live. This is, this is union with Christ. When we put our faith in Jesus... This is what we are doing. We are becoming united to him. We are pledging our lives to him. So if you have been united with Christ, you have pledged your life to him, you've given your life to him, here's what Paul says. There is therefore now no condemnation for you. If you are in Christ, there is no condemnation for you. I, let me say this, though. If you are truly you know, if you're in Christ, you are, you are saved, you are seeking to honor and please God, you will at times feel, self, feel self-condemnation when you sin, right? When you sin and you sense that you're convicted, you will feel condemnation. You may even hear the whispers of the enemy. The Bible calls the accuser of the brethren who's going to whisper things and be like, see, you're not for real, you're just playing a game, or God's holding out on you, or you'll hear the whispers maybe even of the enemy who accuses and condemns you, right? And so that is normal. Paul, Paul all through, Acts, or through Romans 7, uh, he's wrestling with us. He feels the weight of, of this. But again, if you are in Christ, God speaks directly against that in your life. He says, if you are in Christ, there is Therefore now, no condemnation for you. There is no condemnation for you. The theological term for this is that big word I used a minute ago, justification. 
justification, which means declared righteous. One of the ways I learned it was just, justified, just as if I'd never sinned. We're, we're declared righteous. In other words, you can't make yourself righteous. You can't work yourself into righteousness. No, God declares it over you. God produces it in you. You are declared righteous. Justification. It's based not on your work, not on your good deeds. It's based upon the finished work of Christ on your behalf. Justification. You didn't, you didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. He did it and he, he declares it over you. You are justified. You are now righteous in my sight. Uh, Ray Ortland, he, he says, he, he calls it uh, the, the credit card of, of justification. The credit card of justification. He uses this imagery where it's like, like uh, God gives us this credit card and, and the credit like, limit is, is based upon the limitless uh, merit of Christ, the resources of Christ on our behalf, that we can charge all of our moral debts to, to this card, that when we sin, we can charge it to Jesus' uh, account, that we'll never be in debt again because he, already, he pays that debt for us. He's already paid the debt for us. Could we abuse it? Could we be like, well, I'm just going to live however I want because he's already paid for my sin? Uh, what he does in, in Romans chapter uh, 6, a couple chapters earlier, is, is he says, absolutely not. If you have put your faith in Christ, the Spirit of God dwells in you. you. It changes your desire. You don't want to sin just because God has given you grace. That would be to abuse his grace. But it's this credit card of righteousness that he takes uh, our sin uh, on his account and he pays the price. Ray Orland says this about our union with Christ. Man, I want you to hear this. He says, your union with Christ says more about you in the sight of God than your own habits and mood swings and weaknesses and strengths say about you. The way God sees it, your real moral guilt died at the cross. So if you are in Christ, then the guilt of all your sins, past, present, future is already in your past. It is a settled matter in the sight of God even now. You don't have to pay for your sins. He has done that for you. Now, when you sin against somebody or against God, you may still have some work to do to make it right, to seek forgiveness. Uh, but man, you are justified in the sight of God. He has already paid for your sin. And I want you to look down a little further at Romans 8. Uh, we'll get to these in a few weeks, these verses, but Romans 8, 33 and 34, Paul, he, he asks these two questions. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Paul, Paul basically says, hey, nobody can accuse you because the only person who could legitimately accuse you for your sin is God, and he is the one who declares you righteous. He is the one who justifies. Who is to condemn? There is only one judge who can judge you for your sins. And he says, he already sent his son to pay the price. So there's nobody that could accuse you or condemn you because God has already placed all of that on his son for your sake. Justification, 
justification, which means no condemnation. Can I get you all to say those two words with me? Here we go. No condemnation. One more time. No condemnation. Romans 8, verses 1 and 2. Actually, I want to go back to this, and I want you to fill in the blank here. I want you to fill in your name in this blank here. There is therefore now no condemnation for Andrew, who is in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ, put your name in that blank. This is what God says about you. There is therefore now no condemnation for you who are in Christ Jesus. Y'all, you understand why that therefore is so important because of the frustration. I want to please God. I want to honor him. And yet I, I keep sinning and I'm in a struggle with sin. And Paul says, there is therefore now no condemnation. You don't have to spend the rest of your life beating yourself up over this. He has already paid the price. You don't have to condemn yourself. You don't have to listen to the condemnation of the enemy or anybody else because you are justified. You have been declared righteous in the sight of God. So frustration, justification. Let me spend just a couple minutes on this last one. Liberation, liberation. Here's what it says back in verse number one and two. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse two, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So the two words I want to focus in on are those words, set free. Liberation, set free. So this verse starts with the word for, which means, if you look at verse number two, for the law of the spirit of life. For just means because, because. So there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the law of the spirit of life has set you free. There's no condemnation because the spirit of life has set you free. You've been liberated. Again, there's the qualifier. You see it, those three words? In Christ Jesus. The law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. So two great blessings that are ours in Christ. Justification, we've been declared righteous, and liberation, we've been set free. So two quick questions I want to answer. Like, what have we been set free from? Set free from what? And how have we been set free? So, set free from what? He says in verse number two, the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. We don't have time to spend much time here, but this is speaking of God's holy law. Chapter seven, he talks all about the law of God, that it's it's holy and it's righteous and it's good but and this was even the point of Jay made last week is that the law of God it's good it's holy it's not sinful what it does to for us though is it it reveals our sinfulness it provokes and it condemns sin in us and so to be set free from the law of sin and death is to no longer be under the law in other words, we don't look to the law to keep like, doing the right things and stop doing the wrong things. We don't look to the law for our justification. We don't look to it for our righteousness. No, we've been set free by the Spirit. That Listen, Jesus, this is what makes what Jesus did for us so incredible. We think about his death on our behalf, but he came and he lived perfectly obedient to the law in every single respect. He lived the life that we were called to live. 
so that we could be set free. So let me read this quote to you from John MacArthur. He says this, the word for introduces the reason there is no condemnation for the believer. The, the spirit has replaced the law that produced only sin and death with a new simple law that produces life. The law of faith or the message of the gospel. So we've been set free from the law of sin and death. What have we been set free to? Let me go back again to Romans 8, 2. How have we been set free? Here's what he says. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free. The law of the spirit of life has set you free. So here, here's, I'm going to make this simple for us. I think it's best understood that the law of the spirit of life, the spirit of life is the Holy Spirit of God, right? The law of the spirit of life, we can think of that as the gospel. The gospel is what sets us free. It sets us free from the law and from its curse. It sets us free from slavery to sin and to death. In fact, I just want to drop down Romans 8, 3, and 4. We'll, we'll see this next week, but I just want you to see what it says. It says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son, this is the gospel now, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. All right, he was not a sinner. He had no sin in him, but he came in the flesh, but he was not contaminated by sin. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What God has done in sending his son for us, the gospel is what sets us free from, from feeling like we have to fulfill everything in the law. Ray Ortland says this, Romans 8.2 could not declare more clearly that true spirituality is different from our own religious intuitions. Paul gives us only two alternatives here, life in the spirit and death under the law. The difference between them is marked by the verb set free. There is no bondage in authentic Christianity. It is liberation. It's liberation. In other words, here's what he's saying. The Christian life isn't about us trying to manage our sin. It's not about behavior modification, about me trying to be a better person. No, he's, he's set us free from that. He's paid the price. He's paid the debt of our sin. His spirit in us will enable us and empower us to live a life that pleases God without condemnation. So justification, set free. So as we just wrap this up this morning, I, I want to go back one more time to Romans 8, verse number 2. There's one word that I want to end by focusing on. I think this is maybe the most important word for us to consider as we wrap this up today. It's that little pronoun in verse number 2. You see what it is? You, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ. The law of the spirit of life has set you free. And so I just want to ask you this question this morning. Is that true of you? The set free describe what God has done in your life. Set free. 
Have you come to Christ? Have you been united to him? Have you been joined to him? Have you, in essence, said to Jesus, all of what I have and all of who I am is yours as long as I live. I'm not holding anything back anymore. I am yours. Is that true of you? Have you said that to the Lord? And I do want to say this before we end. On the other side of this promise, there's this promise that for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is now no condemnation. But I want to make sure we don't end this morning without you seeing the flip side of this. That for those who are not in Christ Jesus, there is eternal condemnation that is yours. You need to hear that this morning. There is this beautiful promise that if we will unite ourselves to Christ by faith, man, we have this promise of no condemnation because your guilt, your judgment has already been paid for. But if you are not in Christ this morning, if you've never put faith in Jesus, you will pay for your sin. You will be judged for your sin for all of eternity. And I hate, hate, hate saying that, but that is the truth. And I would hate you if I didn't tell you that. But there is a Savior who has paid the price for you, who has taken the guilt, he has taken the punishment, he has taken the condemnation from you. And that's what he's here to do for you today, if you would put your faith in him. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus came to take your condemnation and to set you free, to liberate you to justify you. And so if you've never received him by faith uh, today, would would you consider giving him your life today? If you have, man, can I encourage you to stand firm and in this truth that there is no, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. And God, thank you for the reality of this incredible love that you have for us, this grace, Lord, this justification, um, Lord, that is ours in Christ. Lord, we, for those of us who know you, who have received you by faith, who trust you, man, Lord, we, we revel in that today. We thank you for what is ours in Christ, Lord, that we are secure in what you have done for us. Uh, but Lord, I do pray for anyone in here today that uh, maybe they have never put their faith in you, Lord, who has never received this gift, this gift of grace that is freely offered, that is based upon the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's nothing uh, that comes as a result of what we do, not our own righteousness or goodness or good deeds. God is solely based upon the finished work of Christ. And so, Lord, I pray for anyone today that may be struggling with uh, who you are and what you have done. Um, God, I just pray that you would do a work that only your Holy Spirit can do, which is to draw the sinner's heart to you. So, God, I pray that you would do that. And, God, I pray for every single one of us who know you and feel the frustration of trying to please you and honor you and live for you, and yet every day it's like we're banging our head against the wall because we keep doing the things that we don't want to do and we think things that we don't want to think and we say things that 
we don't want to say and we do things that don't honor you. God, thank you for the good news on the other side of that frustration is the truth of the gospel, that there is therefore now no condemnation for us. And so God, this morning I pray that you would help us to sit in the truth of that, to stand firm in that, to rejoice in that, and to live as those who have been set free. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray.